Welcome to the Molding Health Show. Our goal is to leverage the wisdom and experience of our healthcare practitioners to set you on a path of self-discovery and healing. These insights, coupled with a multidisciplinary approach to each area of interest, should provide an invaluable resource to everyone looking for a better approach to health. In this episode of the show, we speak to Dwayne Swiggers about holistic health from a biokineticist perspective. Dwayne Swiggers, welcome to the show. So we're so glad to have you on board and talking about holistic health and uh, holistic lifestyle. Thanks so much for doing this. Absolute pleasure, Oliver. Um, yeah, I was, I was actually really interested in you know in getting on getting you on board and and over the last few episodes we we actually started speaking about I think much more that proactive health aspects. I'm not sure if we're just attracting that type of conversation at the moment, but I'm interested to see how this conversation goes. But uh, I think to kick it off, I mean, when you're a biokineticist, and so we're talking about it, you know, obviously from that type of angle as well, but from a healthcare practitioner aspect as well. And can you tell us what holistic health is? So holistic health, in my mind, is just being mindful, really, and considering that there are many aspects to your health and well-being. Um, so I'll give you an example. If someone comes into me, um, as a biokineticist, I've been trained on the physical aspect really well. And you would expect me to give you a physical evaluation. Let's say, for example, you've got lower back pain. Okay. Um, if I just looked at your lower back pain and looked at your biomechanics and assumed that the, that would be the only reason that you could get um, lower back pain, I may be missing a lot of things. So you've got to take into consideration a whole bunch of different aspects, or let's even call them categories. You know, some of those categories of well-being would be things like your mental, your physical, your occupation, the spiritual side, your family, your environment, your society, you know, and, and those types of considerations will give you a more whole picture of why somebody could be ill or in discomfort. Um, let's use a psychologist, for example. Uh, let's say you're treating someone with depression and um, you only consider their mental state and you put, you already start to go through your mind, okay, this is how I'd medicate this person, but you don't ask them if they're sleeping enough, if, how their diet is, how their family relationships are, what kind of environment, you know, they're living in, um, you know, as our environment primes us, what their society's like and their involvement in society, how their job and occupation's going. So that's holistic health. Holistic health um, is just being mindful and considering it consider it that there are many different aspects to why somebody could be ill or experiencing discomfort. I think that's that's an amazing definition. And I, I think even, I mean, you use the example of psychologists now and, and depression. I mean, I think even in the in the research or in the studies, it says that if you just, you know, can convince someone to do exercise every day, the depression actually, you know, helps. It helps with the depression. So I think there's a lot of validity to what you're saying. And it, I think, you know, in at a basic level, you know, without even going into research or speaking to amazing people like yourself, like, you know, we 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 know this inherently because the body does heal itself. It does help itself if you give it the space, and you know, if it's all like all rounded. Um, I love that. I told you, I came across another term recently, which was functional medicine. And is this, is holistic health and functional medicine on the same wavelength? It is. Um, it's just maybe not considering the whole picture. So functional medicine is basically just describing using movement, using your physical body as the main tool, the main modality to be able to combat illness and disease. 
you know so as we know like for example um even things like depression or pain or anxiety it could just be a build up of toxins inside the body um and as you know our lymphatic system is really important of ridding the body of harmful toxins and this is why we see sedentary people sick so much more than active people because that lymphatic system requires muscle movement to be able to pump the lymph and drain the lymph properly um unlike how our heart pumps our blood we don't have a pump for the lymphatic system our muscles are the actual pump so that's functional medicine it's getting the body to move in the right ways that will promote healing rejuvenation and recovery yeah it's um, i mean I, i love that and and it's amazing how the universe works though hey i mean uh, i think we've been on this drive now for a while and I, and i think when we when i first met you i think a few weeks ago and i was telling you you know we're on this drive where we think that practitioners need to be connected with each other in order to offer better you know like better it's in the better interest of of the patient and you know the term we use was was multidisciplinary team which is quite a you know healthcare practitioner related term but i think what you're saying is is and where we thought the market would be going as well is much more patient kind of centric and you have you know like in a hospital setting you know you have all of these practitioners coming together I think you know after the discussion with you I kind of came up with a term or understood the term a little bit better. Um so very interested in this and and I think between so for for a practitioner because I haven't seen it on on the list of HBCSA guidelines but is how do you become like a holistic practitioner then? Is it just the mindset aspect or how you um how you approach your pra- your practice? I think like everybody and like and laugh um the more in depth you go into researching things and the more you keep learning yourself and developing yourself and using these different skill sets um to be able to better yourself continually and the more you can be able to implement those into your practice um and into your everyday life you know um thinking holistically is a way of life it's not something that you can just turn on and off um when you want to use it it's continuously being mindful you know planning ahead of time and um just to get back to your point there isn't a specific co- course or resource that I've done um that sort of said okay now I'm a holistic health practitioner and I don't use that so doing uh in terms of being uh someone that specializes in holistic health uh, you know I looked at the HBCSA and there's no specific profession you know for it so is it is it more how you approach your practice from a healthcare practitioner perspective or is it is it a sp- uh, you know specific qualification that you need to get to say I'm a holistic health practitioner <laughs> yeah so i've not found any qualification like that they may be they, they may exist um and there's no one specific book or guideline i think it's just a complete change in the way that you think um and it's sort of adopting that as a lifestyle not just turning it on and off when you need it but constantly being mindful about all those different aspects um for me it was a big eye opener you know treating people this way because just basic questions that um you ask people give you so much insight to why they may or may not be inhibited from doing certain behaviors that are complementary to their well-being you know just asking people about their job or asking people about their family relationship or asking people about the environment that they live in will give you a lot of information to be able to help them um 
incorporate more positive habits and remove the negative habits out of their lifestyle that are going to be complementary to their overall well-being which will obviously put them in a better stead to recover you know so if someone's not sleeping properly but they're doing all your rehabilitation exercises are they going to recover as well as someone that's you know sleeping eight hours nine hours no probably not if they've mm. got a poor diet they're not drinking enough good water you know so all of those types of things um i've found when people are more compliant and when they're incorporating more of these things into their daily life, those are the people that really achieve the amazing results. Hmm. That actually makes sense. And would you put that down to not knowing or just not doing, you know, I mean, I think we all get lazy. I'm not sure if you're in the same, I think biokineticists and physiotherapists are amazing. You know, they always like take care of their bodies and stuff like that. But uh, the, I mean, do you think as as people, you know, from your experience, you know, with patients, is it the not knowing part or is it a somehow not being able to be motivated to do it? It's definitely both. You know, there's, there's not one hard set rule. And that's why it's so important to do the verbal part of the consultation so that you can really get an understanding of the person's mindset. A mindset's going to tell you so much about the per person. Do they have a growth mindset? Are they willing to continuously learn and see obstacles as opportunities and ways that they can improve themselves and learn from it? Or do they have a fixed mindset where they only adopt what they've learned from their parents or their upbringing and, you know, they're not willing to change or grow because it goes against, you know, um, the foundations of what form their reality. So their belief and value systems are so set in a specific way. And, you know, you can uh, relate to this. I'll use some South African typical ones like... Um, life's hard and you've got to work hard to make a lot of money and you know you know i can't have fun anymore because i've got kids or any of these negative sort of ways of thinking mm -hmm. um they're all excuses you know and as soon as you can find these types of excuses and you work out um you know where the actual block is by unblocking it and by bringing it to someone's attention and saying look this is what you're saying and this is how you're living let's try and change a little bit of it, just one step at a time, one small thing at a time, then they will feel the difference. So yeah, it's not just a set hard rule that everybody thinks one way or another. You've really got to understand the individual. So a needs analysis is essential. Understanding your patient's needs when they come to you, um, for me, is like the most critical part about the assessment. Mm, I suppose that makes sense. I mean, uh, I think you don't know you know how to help someone if they, you know you don't really have the full picture um mm -hmm. and uh, and i must say i mean i've been to a few practitioners in my life and i think they always get you to fill out that form but you know at the back of my mind i'm always thinking you know are they using every single part of this in my experience they're probably not you know like they use it for context but they're not using it from a bigger sense of things do you so do you see that as a much more when you say needs analysis do you is it a lot more of an in-depth a review that you're doing with each client to be able to frame then the you know how you're going to be helping from a holistic health point of view sure and you know it continues so let's say the verbal parts is of an of the hour consultation is 15 to 20 minutes before we even get the person to start moving look at their posture do any special tests or functional movement analysis before any of that just really trying to understand how i can help you and then asking a few key questions around that, you know, to get out what you need. And it's all going to be things that will improve recovery, you know. 
So small little things before we even get into habits, before we even get into um, any sort of um, biohacking tricks or circadian rhythms or anything like this, we're going to first ask, you know, the real basics, like how can we help you? What is, you know, what is it going to make? what is going to be a positive outcome um, for you through this experience and most often people come to a biokineticist and they haven't considered that you know this their family and, and or their environment is really important in their rehabilitation process but once you get to chatting they'll understand how important it is because you're going to need support from your family to be able to have the time you need to go and put into your physical. And this is for people that are um, injured and not injured. You know, I think what we forget, and I'm going back a little bit to a previous question, is what we forget is that we should all be the most important person in our lives. And as mums, you forget that quickly when you have children because you start to sacrifice. As dads, you forget that quickly when you have families because you begin to sacrifice. But if we, when we forget that and when we neglect ourselves, we are not our best selves. So it's the most selfless thing to do to look after yourself as the priority. When you're your best self, you're the best version of you for everybody else. Um, and that's very important it's so important because when you're functioning like that your operating system is functioning at its maximum capacity so the brain power that you've got the way that your emotions are um, set and balanced and that word balance is so critical for your well-being and um, we can touch a little bit more into that but when all these things are primed and optimizing and, and functioning at their best then you're going to be able to heal and recover a lot quicker than someone that's stressed and someone that's having farts every day when they go home, that's sleeping poorly, that's got a really bad diet. You know, so these are all sorts of that's living in a polluted environment or it's, it's got a really horrible boss and, you know, there's a toxic environment at work. These things play such a massive role in how our bodies act and react to, to all the stimulus um, that we put ourselves through on a daily basis. Mm. I love how you said that. And, and I don't think I've heard it as as often maybe in the show as as i probably would have liked um, you know in terms of always putting yourself first and and i think um thanks so much for saying that you know i mean uh, it's something that we kind of reinforce with our children all the time actually i ask them the question because the first time someone asked me that and you're busy talking about oh my parents my this you know like whoever and the person said you know but it's you you know you're the most important person and i was like oh, okay that makes sense you know, and, and I know when you, whenever you get on an airplane, you know, they always tell you, you know, when they're reading out the safety instructions, they say, always put on your life jacket first, you know, then you can help someone else. You know, whenever someone, you know, whenever that discussion comes up, I always think of that as in, mm -hmm. you can't help someone else, like even your own children, even your spouse, even your parents, if you're not, well, how are you going to do that? You can't exactly. Um, I, I use the same one. I'm like, yo, when those masks drop down, if you don't put yours, if you did, how are you helping anybody else? Mm. So to be the hero, to be the one that you want it to be, you know, um, able, you've got to enable yourself. Yeah. And not, not to mention the, you know, the subsidiary effects of that, you know, in terms of being an example, being the, the one people will follow, even without you telling them they need to follow. You know, if, if someone is, you know, living, well, what we perceive is like a better life, you want to emulate that, even if you don't know them. So mm -hmm. I think, um, yeah, it's a very cool point. But taking it back, you know, maybe a full circle and saying, we don't introduce this really well, but uh, I want to ask it. What does a biokineticist do? Just so that some, someone doesn't know. Like, if you don't know what a biokineticist is, 
And and how does that play a role, I think, coming back into the holistic health aspect? Cool. So a biokineticist is a physical rehabilitation specialist. So what we focus on is movement. What we focus on is how the body functions, the basic body biomechanics. And um, we love to look at the body um, and your posture, your alignment, and see if it's in what we call neutral alignment. If it's out of alignment, naturally, just like a car, there'll be more wear and tear on one side than the other. So it's all about putting your body back into its most neutral place at the core of what we do. But obviously, we deal with chronic diseases and disabilities, um, you know, orthopedic um, conditions, so prehabilitation, post-rehabilitation, uh, so pre- or post-surgery, any sort of muscle um, and skeletal condition. So, yeah, that, that's biokinetics in a nutshell. Mm. Um, and it falls, into a re- it falls into the physical aspect. So where does that fall into your well-being or into the scope of practice? Well, if you're physically ill and if you want any physical improvement, then a biokineticist is a really good person to go and see because that's what we study. That's what we specialize in is the physical component. Okay, that's perfect. And and I think, again, from my own curiosity, and I don't think I put it in the outline, but in if someone is considering that because it's movement, it's physical, the other options are like physiotherapists or chiropractor. Can, can you help us understand how, how those are different as well? Mm-hmm. So physiotherapy and chiropractor, those guys treat more symptoms. So they are symptomatic, um, well, primary practitioners um, to help with symptomatic conditions. So say, for example, you've got elbow pain, Um, generally the physiotherapist will look at that and try and take that pain away from you and then possibly refer you off to a biokineticist who would look at the biomechanical imbalances and then fix the cause of the problem. So why did you get that elbow pain? You know, say the physio's um, definition there is like a olecranon bursatus or let's just say like a tennis elbow, a common one, and then They've treated it with massage or manual therapy. Maybe they've done some um, trigger pointing or some dry needling or used uh, some form of machine, uh, you know, either some sort of EMS machine or TENS machine to reduce the inflammation and pain and increase the function of the joint. Then what the biokineticist would do is go, right, let's have a look at your posture and see, okay, maybe you've got um, an elevated first rib or maybe you've, you broken your clavicle at one time in your life and you've you've started to compensate because of that and those compensatory patterns have led to you overusing you know the lateral aspect of the elbow and this over time has created this friction which has caused this pain so we don't even do much at the elbow what we focus then on doing is fixing the posture reducing the inflammation and stopping the injury from happening happening at the first place so that's the big difference. The physio would take the pain away, work on the actual area during first phase, and they would then refer off to a biokineticist who would take them generally from your second, third, fourth return to sport phases. So we're much more practical in our approach. In general, you get biokineticists who specialize in different um, spheres and aspects, and same with physios. You get physios who specialize in a hospital, you get physios who specialize on the field. And everybody's sort of crossing and going into each other's scope slightly nowadays, 
um, which I feel is a great thing. I know a lot of guys complain about it, but I feel it's a really great thing because at the end of the day, the patient should be uh, the, the number one considering factor. Like, you know, it's sometimes really horrible to bounce a patient from place to place if you know you're going to be able to give them exactly what they need. So when physios start to do exercises with their patients and corrective things like this, for me, that's exciting. It's not like I'm looking at that as stepping on my scope of practice at all. Um, I think that it's such a win because everybody should be giving their patients uh, homework in terms of movement one way or another. And if they're unsure, obviously working with a biokinetic is essential. Um, but in a nutshell, the biggest difference there is that symptomatic treatment. Um, that a physiotherapy does and a physiotherapist does and they study that a lot more in depth than what we do we'll go much more into human movement and the biomechanics mm. a chiropractor on the other hand um, they specialize in the spine so they're studying majority of the, of, your, of the time in the spine and how to manipulate the spine to obviously um, create those adjustments that they need um, revolving around treating nerve symptoms or any other bodily symptom that they feel may come from um, blockages in the spine or movement, really. Um, obviously, the different manipulations happen in all the joints, but they're specialists for me in our spine uh, and the bony anatomy. When it comes down to who would understand that best, for me, a chiropractor ticks that box. Mm. Okay, and actually, I mean, that's a that's a really good answer. I mean, uh, and I think or explanation of that. I think it's always interested me in terms of, as you said, the you know the scope of practice kind of creep. I think your approach is quite mature as well. I think um, which is actually amazing because I think yeah, it's always patient centric, but also knowing when to refer out. I think that's a key one that comes up with practitioners as well. It's like you know when you hit a certain ceiling with a client. Or you think there's someone better suited? I think it's nice to know that. So I'm not sure if you know it's part of your you know training to know when to refer out. That's always curious for me. But uh, I think for any any other practitioner also listening to this, you know, like so they know okay maybe that's where the biokinetics fits in, and then you know can help them you know in a different way. I like that. Um, the next part I want to I want to cover is obviously going back to holistic health and and we had in the brief something around symptoms and I probably want to approach this in two ways. One is how would you know if someone does have holistic health and by 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 inverse you know like a notation I mean how would you know if they didn't have it? So I think you can take your pick. I mean like firstly I mean how would you know if they actually do have holistic health in your in your opinion? So, like for me, holistic health isn't a symptom um, and it's not a diagnosis. So, someone can't have it. Like, holistic health is around all of us all the time. So, it's something that you would consider in every single case. It's not going to be an isolated individual case that, okay, now this person, I need to consider holistic health with this person. It's a way of thinking and a way of practicing. So, um, maybe I can help you understand this a little bit more, help you with that question. Um, if someone came and they uh, had, let's use back pain again, and this person was really physically active, maybe they're a biokineticist themselves. Let's just say it's a biokineticist and they can't understand why they've got this back pain because they're stretching, they're doing all the exercise, they're doing all the rehabilitation, but then nobody's asked this person about their gut health. No one's gone into depth to find, are you just constipated? And that's why the back pain's there. 
you know, so that would be an example of an holistic health issue. It's looking outside of what the obvious is. So I'm not just looking at the back now. I've actually gone and asked, how's your diet? What blood type are you? You know, where are your ancestors from? Let's try and think of, you know, what sort of meals you're putting in your body and how's your digestion going? You know, that's just such a simple thing. Like, you know, 50 years ago, every doctor would ask that as the first question. Like, you know, what is, you know, <laughs> what do your stools look like? Like, how regular are you? I mean, such an important thing. And a lot of back pain actually does come from that. So that would be an example of how you use it in a practical sense as a biokineticist. Or even, for example, here's another one. Like, let's say you've got this patient with elbow pain and they're just not coming right. You know, um, you've done everything perfect. They're describing everything's going well, um, but maybe you haven't asked them how they're sleeping at night and they're actually aggravating it by sleeping on that joint or rolling around or some part of their daily ergonomic activities, whether it's a work function at their desk or driving, is like causing a lot more friction and tension on that joint. So it's inhibiting the healing process. That would be an example of like using holistic health to treat um, and advise a patient. Yeah, so it's not just like someone I can say, oh, this person has holistic health or this person doesn't. No, we all have it. It's in all of our lives, all the time. And it really comes down to feeling balanced. You know, if you see someone and you're like, wow, that is a balanced individual, you know, this person wouldn't be someone that's so focused on their spirituality, you know, that they forget about their physical health. They forget about their family. They forget about their occupation or contributing at all because they just all spirituality takes up you know 90 percent of their time and day and it could be the same as the physical and we see that you know people that take the physical to an obsession you know let's say like your elite bodybuilders or let's say like even your elite um, athletes in different fields where now they're neglecting their family they're neglecting their mental aspects they're neglecting the, the being in the society and part of a community these people often have a lot of underlying issues, um, they're stressed, they depress them, so they may be high performers, but they don't feel balanced at all. And that's because of the overall consideration of your well-being. And you've got to take into uh, you've got to take all of those aspects into consideration and make sure that you're growing on all levels. You can't just be fo and in times of our lives, it's gonna be different. Mm. You know, let's say you don't have kids. I know the family box is not going to be the same as when you do have kids because all of a sudden you're going to be spending a lot more family time than before. It's going to be something that you, but maybe before you had kids, you put a lot more time into your occupation and then you do it after you have kids. So it's a constant flow. It's not a fixed rule of everything's 50%. It's just not like that. It's just like life, just like the stock exchange, just like anything. There ups, downs, ebbs, flows, and we've got to go with it. But as long as we're continually mindful and considering all those aspects, we can create a feeling of being balanced and you know, feeling like we're giving us ourselves the best chance to stay at homeostasis, keep our body functioning at its best. And for me, that the physical is like, the absolute pillar it's like you're grounding so if you lost and you don't know where to start start with the physical because the physical impacts all of them we they all do intertwine obviously but the physical is just such an easy way to start because it's you even if it's as simple as 
you know, self-care, self-love, cutting your nails, you know, grooming yourself, you know, just simple things to get started, walking outside, being barefoot, looking at the sunrise or sunset, you know, those small little things will have a huge, huge impact on the physical. Yeah, I'm digressing, going off a little (laughs) No, no, no problem at all. I, I love it. I love hearing you talk about it because you're obviously very passionate about it. Um, and my reason for asking the question was exactly what you just said now, you know, like, so, so I, I get it, you know, I get that people are, you know, individuals and everyone's, you know, like balance will be different. Uh, but there's commonalities, you know, there's common, I mean, people tell us, you know, you have to sleep well, you have to drink eight glasses of water, you have to exercise for 20 minutes a day, you know, so I suppose that's where I was going with this, you know, is there like a, like a blueprint for someone that's, that's not as amazing as, uh, you know, as knowing all of the stuff like Dwayne does, you know, um, is there like, is there a blueprint that we could use that can help us? And, and, you know, when you look at it, even for yourself, I'm not saying go and judge other people, but like, even when you look at it for, for yourself, say, I don't feel balanced, but you know, I'm probably missing these three aspects to it. And that's why I'm not feeling balanced at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so there isn't a blueprint around that stuff. There isn't, but just being aware of it is the first thing. You know, like a lot of the time, and you asked this earlier, and a lot of the time when you mention these things to people, they're like, wow, that's obvious, but I'd never thought of it before. You know, I thought like I was doing well just because I, you know, have, um, I've scheduled 30 minutes of training every day. I never thought of like including time for reading. I never thought of including time for praying. I never thought of including time for family play or how I'm going to engage and act in my society. And, um, you know, so those are all when, when you bring it to someone's awareness then they can start building a plan around how to incorporate and how to improve these things on our in our lives you know and i think as long as someone has that growth mindset and is willing to accept that everything we know everything we've learned may be wrong but we are continuous learners we are going to learn throughout our lives we're going to make mistakes but that's the journey and that's the exciting part we're not meant to know the answers we're just meant to keep on getting slightly better learning a little bit more and that's the thing you know then, then you're winning as soon as you have that growth mindset i think and that's a big thing to influence people doesn't matter what type of practitioner you are if you want to get the best out of this person that's going right okay here's your physical plan as a bike analyst, here's your physical plan, but you've also got to believe that this is going to help you. You know, you've also got to believe that you're going to recover and you've got to implement this now into your lifestyle as a daily practice so that this doesn't happen again. And so the education becomes so crucial. And that is it. Like, imagine this was taught to us in primary school. Imagine this was taught to us and reiterated throughout high school, how we balance our lives. And you need it. Look at teenagers. Teenagers go through a horrible time where they get so lost and they lock themselves in rooms and they don't come through and chat to the family because they're trying to figure things out. And just telling this to a teenager helps so much because it's probably going to be the first time that they've heard of all these different aspects to well-being, which is how you feel at the end of the day that they'll start to regulate and balance those hormones and start to accept that they don't have to be perfect. You know, they are learners um, and they can be around the people that they trust and have guidance from those people. Mm. I like that. Um, I thought of something now as you were speaking, but would you say, again, this is probably a contentious question, but uh, would you say that the quality of your relationships of people around you would probably be an indication of whether you're in balance or not? 
I just think of, you know, some of the entrepreneurs I follow and, and, you know, like you said, you know, like, it's always like, you know, it's, it's always, you know, you do certain things in stages of your life. And again, they go full tilt, you know, in terms of time traveling. Okay. Obviously with COVID and, you know, the, the era after COVID, you know, less traveling, but they give so much on the one aspect and yet their family falls apart, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that would be an indication of maybe the relationships not working, you know, well, um, so w- would you say something like that? Is there a correlation uh, you would think? Yeah. Anyone that's putting more time uh, into one of those aspects and not considering the others, uh, there's going to be an effect, you know, there's going to be a butterfly effect from that. Every output's going to have an input, you know, at the end of the day. So you, it doesn't, you know, when I was growing up too, I looked at guys with money. Um, we came from a very modest family. So I looked at that and I was like, how do I emulate that? How do I achieve that? How do I get that form of success? And it's only after the years and years of seeing these kinds of people and meeting them and dealing with them that you realize they're not happier than you. Um, they're not happier than someone that doesn't have that money. They're not even more successful than someone that has that type of, you know, that doesn't have the money. It's It doesn't give them balance. It hasn't made them feel like, wow, I've achieved anything other than financial success. So looking at that and being like, I need to emulate this, it's not always a good thing to do. It's more like if you want to improve your financial box, then you have a look at what these guys are doing. But if those guys aren't, you know, um, they don't have successful families, they don't have, you know, great physical health, which we see a lot with our high performers, you know, they've completely neglect their physical health because they'll eat whatever they can on the run, on the fly, always too busy to consider, you know, proper food and proper meals. Like their hydration shocking, their sleep is shocking. So it has a massive impact on other areas of their life, even though they're really high performers and high achievers on the um, occupation aspect. So I think, you know, um, finding loads of um, inspiration from different types of people um, is going to give you a feeling of, a, of better balance. And also realizing like there isn't a rule. No one's got it waxed. No one can say this is how, this is like 1.0, how to be a human and you're going to be happy. There's nothing like that. You know, <laughs> it's all of our unique journeys. It's, and we meant to be different, you know, and, you know, for me, it's like God experiencing the whole life through all of our unique lives, you know, through us. Um, and that, that for me is, you can look and learn from everybody as if they're different versions of yourself. Um, so these high performance you see like that, you know, that's you in one way or another. But mm-hmm. learn from the mistakes they've made, live vicariously through them, learn from the errors and take the things, take the golden nuggets that are going to help you in one little way or another. But I think you don't need to obsess about it either. You know, you don't need to obsess about it. It doesn't need to, you know, become everything you do. It's just one thing you do. Put it and add it to your arsenal, add it to your toolbox so you have the right tool for the right moment. Mm. I think one of the most profound articles I read, but it was many, many years ago, was an article that, um, and I think it was headlined something like, uh, you know, can you live as well as Bill Gates? And what they did was they broke down a day and right at the top of the list was, you know, how much sleep do you spend, you know, do you, you know, like you spend 
uh, every day and it's like you know seven to eight hours and they said if you want to look you know live like bill gates you know they took well, what is the price of a bed even bill gates with all of his money what, what's the highest price you would ever pay for a bed and you kind of work it down like that and it's like yes you can you know in different aspects and because we're always chasing these like you know these, these bigger things and when you break it down into something like that you know it makes it a lot more tangible that you can actually live well already you know, in your own space, which is seems to be what you, you know, like what's resonating in terms of your message at the moment, which is really nice. I think, I think it's a state of mind. Like you see him, you've got success, but like if you ask him like how happy he is or how stressed he is, you know, I can't imagine him not being stressed, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like I wouldn't want to be Bill Gates at all. Like mm-hmm. there's no chance. Mm-hmm. But um, would I like to have as much financial success? I mean, that would be lovely. Imagine how much good you could do with all that resource. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, that's another topic. Like um, our professionals, we have such an important role in helping high performers and people with access to a lot of resources because these are the people that can make the biggest difference in our world today just because of their access to resources. And we should be focusing a lot more on those kind of individuals. You know, we focus a lot on the guys without resources, um, but these guys are really stuck in survival mode. They're stuck in the fight or flight mode. There's not even a chance that they can become creative or innovative when they're worrying about where they're going to get their next meal from, you know. Um, So really focusing on the guys with resources so that they can um, be more giving, be more uh, philanthropic, you know, um, help and contribute to the greater population of humans, really, and see how we can optimize life on Earth. And that's a really, really important point. Um, But yeah, I digress a little bit about uh, Bill Gates. Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard a practitioner mention that as well. (laughs) But yeah, it's a really good point. I mean, it kind of makes sense as well. eh? I mean, you know, I think, again, you're putting you you're empowering someone that has access to a lot more life jackets you know to put it on lots more people and i think that's a really cool point um the biggest point there sorry to go on was just like the happiness really is is a state of mind you know you can have and it's all about gratitude you know you wake up in the morning and you appreciate you've got breath you wake up and you appreciate the sunrise you know you go out and you see what is around you to be grateful for and if you've got that in your heart, I mean, you're already, you're already set, you know? So I think that's the most important thing for people who um, are looking to become more successful. It's not chasing, you're going to get money and you're going to realize, wow, I, I still feel the same. I just have a lot more access to resources, but I still feel depressed. I still feel lonely. I still feel like, you know, I'm not physically fit or like, mentally i haven't learned the right things in life i don't know enough you know so it's not you're not gonna feel uh happy just by achieving one measurement of success so that's financial and bill gates it could be physical you could be in the best physical condition of your life six pack look good full head of hair you know blue eye whatever you want whatever you want but you you're missing because you don't have any money and you've got poor relationships with your family. And, and so these are the different things of considering, you know, and being mindful about everything. And that's what goes back to holistic health and well-being. You know, so yes, the resources are nice. And it's finan- fin- financial for me is so important because it allows you, it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? What's the first thing? Safety. That's what we need. 
If we don't have that, then we're going to continuously be in that fight or flight mode, that survival mode. And again, like in that mode, you're just worried about survival. You're not worried about um, tomorrow. You're not worried about the future. You're not being able to like think about self-preservation in a way that's healthy. Mm. Yeah. That actually makes a lot of sense. And so doing, if someone was listening to this and they said, okay, I really love how Duane was saying this and they wanted to learn more about holistic health or they wanted to start on their journey and obviously understanding that it's individual based, is their first point of contact like someone like a biokineticist to point them in that direction? Not always, Oliver. You know, again, this is really unique to my set of skills that I've acquired over a lifetime um, and continue to acquire. And it's just an area that interests me. You know, one biokineticist to another, we're going to be so different. And I know that now, you know, I'm owning my own private practice and have employed, you know, quite a few bios over over this time. It's everybody is so unique and different. So you can get a physiotherapist and a physiotherapist. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be the same. You know, building that and having a rapport with your professional is really important. Having someone that you trust is really important, obviously. And there's other factors to consider. Is it convenient for you? You know, are you going out your way? So you've got to take into, it's got to be easy to fit into your life. You know, it can't be another headache for you. It's got to be something complementary. So unfortunately, like AR isn't isn't good enough at the moment to have a robot biokineticist that can help everybody the same way and you know what standard of practice you're going to be receiving you're going to meet some biokineticists that are absolutely shocking and are not going to give you what you want and the same with every other professional service out there you know whether it's um, a teleprompter or a health professional it's different person to person Mm. Yeah, I saw a post recently, and it was a psychologist, and she said, you know, can, you know, would AI or ChatGPT seems to be the biggest buzzword at the moment, you know, ever be able to replace a therapist? And and you know, her argument was that it won't because of that human connection. You know, therapy is effective because of the connection, and uh, I agree with that. You know, but at the same in in the same light, you know, I come from a you know technology background and. I see what gamification, you know, has done in terms of prompting people to do better, you know, and so almost like if you had the system, you know, to do better, you know, like drink eight glasses of water and you can actually see the ticker going along, you know, what Apple's been doing, you know, with their health app and, you know, Discovery in South Africa has been trying to do, you know, with the Vitality program, you know, it does seem to work, you know, to change behavior. So, um, yeah. I'm excited for it and I think it will be a huge game changer. So my opinion on it now, um, just listening to you, would be that it will have a massive impact, but it won't work for everybody. But what it's going to enable us to achieve is to be able to give good advice and guidance to a lot more people for a lot less cost. You know, so simple things of like bringing someone's attention to these different areas of your well-being or simple things like you could ask your AI, hey, how can I improve my health and well-being? And it gives you a list of 10 things you can start doing. And I mean, even what I've played around with, it's really accurate um, from what I've seen. But yes, you're not going to have that human connection. Let's say like a mother that's gone through childbirth would have chatting to another mother that's gone through childbirth. Mm -hmm. You know, that's something that they're not going to be able to achieve through that. 
but they've got they're going to be able to you know service 90% of the people that aren't actually even getting help at the moment because of the affordability factor or maybe the convenience factor of being able to get to those practitioners find those practitioners so that's what it's going to you know that's where it'll have a huge impact for me on um, overall health and well-being it's just the accessibility of knowledge Hmm. No, no, I, I agree with you. I, I think the first part, and that's, you know, one of the huge, you know, um, objectives of the show is, is, is to understand how we, um, you know, how we create the awareness, because you, you don't know what you don't know. And I think if you go into Google or ChatGPT, and you don't know what to ask, you know, what, what the question is, um, you don't know what holistic health is, and you're going to ask the question. You know, like it's it's not going going to give you the right answer. And I think that's what this is. It's like you know, they heard this and they they heard Dwayne speaking. And it's like okay, that's the term I've been looking for. Like I said, with functional medicine, I mean, I didn't come across the term, and now it's in my vocabulary. It's in my you know, you know, contextual knowledge. Um, now I can start putting it together. And I think. Um, hearing people talk about meditation, hearing people talk about, you know, their psychotherapy or, or, and, you know, holistic health, like we're talking about now, starts putting the picture together. So at least, you know, actually you are the most important person. Actually, I, I liked what Dwayne said about that. Now I need to find out more. So love the conversation, you know, love all of that stuff. But if, if I had to ask, um, because I asked, I mean, if someone wanted to get, you know, get into contact with someone that assists with holistic health, how would they do that? If I had to ask from a practitioner point of view, if you wanted to specialize in holistic health or wanted to have that as part of your, your, how you approach your practice or how you approach therapy with your clients, is there any guidance you would give them around that? Definitely. I think incorporating it into your own life, first of all, um, is the most important so that you can see how that changes you. Once it does start to change you, you're going to feel different and you're going to want to tell people about it. It's like when you buy a nice pair of shoes that really work. You're like, oh man, you got to try these shoes. They really, you know, da 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 da. Or you maybe try intermittent fasting for the first time and you're like, oh yeah, you got to get it. It's, if you start sleeping properly, if you start drinking proper min mineral water, that's actually going to hydrate you and not deplete the body from all its, you know, natural ions and energies, you're going to feel a difference. If you start to, you know, incorporate that family time, have some spirituality time, you know, become a contributor instead of a consumer. That's a big, big thing. You know, we find lots of people just consuming, 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 and you're never going to feel good like that. You know, that's just taking in. It's a lot of negativity, but as soon as you are putting out and you're producing and you're contributing in a positive way that is what also going to give you a good feeling of positivity in your life you know so all of these things take doing it as a practitioner and learning about different aspects of health and wellness so if you're a uh, psychologist for example you know also studying about the body seeing you know what sort of impact that will have on someone's mental state um, you know, is so important. Also considering the environmental, you know, maybe studying some economics, studying some psychologies, studying some, um, you know, philosophy, all of those kind of things can have a massive impact in the way that you think. And once you're thinking differently um, and more holistically, you're going to naturally regurgitate that to your patients because you know that's good for them. And you'll be able to easily identify areas of their life where they're lacking. Mm, okay, that makes a lot of self 
you've got to go out and explore. You've got to actually understand that, you know, wellness wheel or wheel of well-being, understand, figure out in your life where you're missing a few um, pieces, where you could improve. And then in your weakest link, start there. It's similar to how people come into a gym and like, let's say you're really strong at push-ups and you just do push-ups every day. Well, you love to do, so you actually got to be doing the things you're weakest at to get a more balanced you physically. And it's the same with the area of the well-being. You know, you should attack the one that you're doing least of now, and that will give you the quickest feeling of being balanced, you know? Mm -hmm. So once we adopt that as professionals, we can then start advising little changes, you know, to our clients and say, hey, I'll, this is what I'm doing that's helping me feel a little bit more, you know, well-rounded. You should also consider trying this and see, and then we can report back on it in two weeks' time. Now, how does it feel sleeping eight hours versus four hours a day? Are you fe feeling, you know, mentally clearer? Are you feeling physically stronger? Do you have more patience when you're talking to your wife? You know, are you being more productive at work? All those kind of things can be taken into consideration then. Mm, I like that. Um, and, a, and a typical therapy process, uh, if someone wanted to work with with someone like yourself, doing, and they said, you know, I wanted to embark on this journey of holistic health, you know, what would a typical process, you know, therapy process look like? Mm, so I'll give you um, the biokinetics process, right? Um, so like... I'm not advertising um, myself or any of our practitioners as holistic health practitioners. It's just something that we are mindful of and we consider it and we consider during our practice. But during a biokinetic consultation, typically um, you would see us initially for an hour to an hour and a half, depending on uh, the condition we're treating. But that would revolve around a verbal um, analysis. So we always start verbal. Even before the verbal, you should actually start looking at the patient and have patient observation. If you can, how do they get out of their car? How are they walking? What does their gait look like? What's their posture like? Before they even know that you're watching them. And that tells you a lot because when you start to look at someone and they know you're observing them, um, their patterns may change. And then obviously the verbal, which we'll go through as many different questions as we can. And that's where we consider a lot of the holisticness because you'll ask things, not only about where you saw, how long you've been sore, for what type of pain is it, what produces the pain and all those good questions. We're also going to be asking about, you know, tell me a little bit about your diet. Like what would be a typical day of, um, you know, food look like, food intake look like for you? fluid as well tell me about the sleeping patterns and then all the other areas of well-being i mentioned we are a tick on it's important you understand what medications the persons are taking if any even vitamins supplements it's really important that you understand what's going in because that is all going to have a role um, in how this person recovers so that would take up a real big portion and we'd continue to ask questions obviously as we watch our patient develop over time throughout the sessions but also throughout that initial consultation. Typically after the verbal we'll do a posture and gait analysis. So the postural analysis you'll stand by a posture chart typically and we'll go head to toe looking for any malalignments like is the neck you know, tilted to the side? Do you have forward head and neck? Is your chin, chin tucked in? Is there any abnormal curvature in the spine? Maybe a kyphosis, lordosis, scoliosis, you know, check the shoulder hard, look at the clavicles, ask about those 
old injuries, if any of them have impacted old surgeries, you know, watch the, the anatomical alignment of the body and look for any imbalances all the way down, you know, so considering spine, hip, knee, ankle, you know, anything that you spot and ask that's going to be a difference or you think would impact that person, you just check it out and you look it out from all planes, so a front plane, side plane, and then after that, gait watching them walk, after that, a physical movement analysis which would be asking someone to move in a specific way. And it's not the same for everybody. You know, maybe you've got someone that's just had a knee replacement. You're not going to ask them to do a lunge or a squat. But maybe someone with back pain, you would, because you want to see how the knees are reacting to that movement. Do they have like a medial collapse at the joint? Is there a weakness, which, you know, maybe their glutes aren't firing, which means that the patella isn't tracking laterally as it should. Um, So these are the kinds of things that you'll look at when you put the person through physical movements or like a physical movement assessment and we'll score that and we've got lots of different measurements and tests to do after that we'll do special tests so say for example someone's got a slip disc you may do something like a slump test to try and produce like the pain or result and try and determine if there's like a nerve involvement or not Um, or you could do like an aptly scratch test or you could do you know like a Luckman test or any test specific to the injury at hand. Um, After your special test, you should have a real good idea of, you know, what the person is um, suffering with. You should have that diagnosis down. Most of the time you try and get that diagnosis down in the verbal conversation and then just confirm it through the rest of our tests. After those special tests, generally, um, we'll do range of motion. So make sure that the body moves through full range of motion. We'll do strength tests make sure that the strength is even on all sides and appropriate. So like, let's use the quad hamstring relationship, make sure that the right percentage of quad strength to hamstring strength would be there. And that uh, one is not more dominant than the other causing the patellofemoral pain syndrome that the person's experiencing in the knee. Um, Or let's say, for example, um, yeah, any of those tests related to that, you would, you would have a look in that area. Um, yeah, after that, um, generally, I'd like to teach and leave the patient with something. And the most important for me would be understanding your posture, understanding how to contract your core muscles to align the posture in its most optimal position, and just being aware and making the patient aware of that and the injury that they have and the process to the injury recovery. If you can get all of that done in the first session and leave them with a little bit of homework where they can already start reducing the um, inflammation causing activities that or the activities that are causing the adverse condition, if you can start reducing those, you'll start to see improvement without even implementing more like habitual changes. So without even giving them exercises or giving them anything, just by removing the things that are causing the issues or changing the way you sit or drive or sleep can have massive impacts just over a few days. So that's generally what an initial consultation would look like. After that, us as biokineticists will go and draw out a plan and be like, right, what do I need to Um, teach Oliver so that he can have a positive impact on his physical condition and in the next sessions it's a lot of education and training getting your body to move in ways that are complementary to healing and recovery that's very important we know that the movement like we say movement is medicine and moving the body in you know mostly pain-free ways around the joint that's affected and getting your body to be in a 
um, its most optimal position will just have complementary effects on uh, you know the adverse condition that you're suffering with and that's typically what a biokineticist would do and how we would treat patients from the first session to the second okay that's amazing and and the plan that you mentioned uh, doing is do you track that plan i mean is it like a written plan that you give the client and then obviously they go do the plan yeah patient to patient is different and biokineticist you know practice to biokineticist practice is different as well we do have some really nice tools so we've got we ran some tools um, that were developed and designed in australia um they for sportsmen and women but they'll give us like a quantitative approach to recovery so i'm big on qualitative approach so i'm really big in getting to know your body understanding how your body gives you signs and symptoms you know so i always say our body's language is through our skin it's through our eyes it's through how you look physically our body's trying to talk to us you know so if you've got a rash on your body if you've got excess weight on your body if your body's your body is telling you this is the body's language and when you understand that language you can also you know give back to it so that it can start correcting those imbalances but that's a qualitative approach the quantitative approach is also very important because you have left and right brain thinkers so the one person is going to respond way better to qualitative than quantitative and vice versa so we like to give both we like to say yes you can feel you improving but visually look you can also see it so we've got tests like a nordic hamstring curl or external internal rotation at the shoulder joint and we can show you look when you started you had 90 degrees of movement now you've got 150 degrees you know so you've improved by 60 degrees that's massive that will that means now that you can get the jar out of the top shelf where before you couldn't even reach the kettle on the bottom shelf you know so it's those kinds of improvements that give people the motivation and and you can show them on a graph month by month or week by week as you test and retest mm okay that makes that makes a lot of sense i like that um and in terms of um the uh, you know what you mentioned earlier about the core muscles i've heard that a lot as well can you explain why the core muscles are actually and why you would actually you know prioritize that in terms of you know your you know how you're approaching exercise sure it's pretty simple the core muscles are responsible for the whole way your posture um presents itself so if you've got weak core muscles you're going to have a slouched over posture um you know your spine is going to be a lot more vulnerable your core muscles aren't just in your gut let's just understand that you know they run pretty much like guy wires in a yacht holding that pole and being able to control the sail you know for us it goes sh- shoulder to hip shoulder to hip uh, majority even down and down into the knees um so it controls the way our knees and patella track it controls the way our hips move it controls how we um stand erectly and and our shoulders are positioned so this will have a massive impact on your physical because it determines how much friction and stress are placed on our joints throughout movements so if you have a weak core but you have really strong muscles you could potentially go and lift something you're lifting it right because your muscles can do the movement but your core isn't strong enough to compress and protect the spine from torsion or from any rotational movements and that's often where we see injuries come through so you've got to have a core that's you know 
strong and complementary to your strong muscles as well. You know, and if you haven't got strong muscles, that's a, still the best place to start because as if you can just get your body in its most neutral state or just standing in a good posture and activating and contracting your core properly, you're already at an enhanced position to start healing and recovering. You're already giving your body the best advantage compared to someone that has a poor posture in order to recover and heal and prevent further injuries in the future. You know, as we age, everything's getting compressed, everything's pushing down. And so to enhance longevity, you want to lengthen and strengthen and consider the core as the part of the body that's going to position the body in its most lengthened and strengthened position. So we look and we'll say, okay, the round shoulder, you know, that's going to really impact you, you know, over a long period of time because it's going to start to create a kyphotic curvature in the spine, never mind the excessive friction on the anterior aspect of the shoulder or whatever it may be. So how do we get that straight? You know, okay, so we stretch out the muscles in the front, like your pec minor, let's do some releases, strengthen the muscles at the back, activate that levator scapula. And all of a sudden, you know, someone standing with a nice open posture, reduce the friction and your pain in your elbow is gone. Mm, okay. You say those words like it just rolls off your tongue. It's actually amazing. Eh? <laughs> it's, the core is also so important for so many things. Like I, it's your balance. It's your proprioception. It's your engagement to movement, you know. Mm -hmm. So how are you going to feel on your feet? Do you feel connected to the earth? Can you control your body throughout and, you know, in movements through the air, doing flips through, the, you know, it's just like that. someone that has that amazing control of their body you know, an understanding of their body movement. Like you take a gymnast, for example, and then you put them next to an office worker that's maybe never played sports in their life and just get those people to stand, just look who looks physically healthier, mm. you know, and you think's going to physically recover faster or be able to handle more, you know, and laugh. And for me, it's so important, like rather be prepared that you can jump into action at any time and you're such an asset as a human being that's physically capable to help save a life or to get involved in a situation where you could be versus someone that's, you know, vulnerable, you know. So we need more people that are physically capable, physically able, physically confident to be able to engage in those types of activities as contributors, you know. And so for me, it's like it's super important. It's important just to have these kinds of conversations and even people that aren't injured to be like, this is also why, you know, we should be always be prepared or be looking into this. It's, yes, it's for us, for our longevity, for our well-being, but it's also for others, right? Like what kind of a dad or husband or person do you want to be in your environment? Hmm. Yeah, those are, I mean, it's really profound questions. I think we should always be asking. Um, coming back to the gym and the core stuff, you know, I always see, you know, like when you go to the gym, I mean, there's people concentrating on their muscles. And as you started talking about muscles, you know, strength and length and, and, but I, I've seen like biokinetics is always toned. They never like, you know, these, like what you would associate with like, you know, when, when you go to the gym and there's people always concentrating on these massive muscles. Is there something about that? Like you don't really have to have these massive muscles in order to be in the best shape, is that how it is? Yeah, well, there's two, there's two sort of questions in there. So let's go with the bios. I mean, I've seen really overweight bios, underweight bios, bios in great condition, bios in, you know, poor condition. The same as dietitians. I've seen really overweight dietitians, really underweight dietitians. You know, for me, 
it's really important to practice what you preach. It's really important that you've got a grip on things in your life for you to be able to be telling and uh, advising people on others. You may have the knowledge, you know, which is just one thing, but you've also got to have other aspects of your life that like discipline, you know, um, that you can be a role model of and you can, you know, influence people positively about. So it's really important for me that um, you, you are in a good, healthy state. It doesn't have to mean that you are, have these big, bulky muscles like a, maybe a bodybuilder would have. And for me, bodybuilding has done more bad than good. You know, for me, bodybuilding and that industry, um, which, by the way, I loved and I was a part of a lot of these uh, and, and trained a lot of these athletes and lived with a couple of these athletes, I just saw that this is actually not health and wellness at all. The way you treat your body here is such an obsession that you neglect all the other areas of your well-being to achieve a physical state that is so material in a way. It's just about the aesthetics, how you look. It doesn't mean that you are fit. doesn't mean that your cardiovascular system works at all. doesn't even mean that those muscles are actually strong and can handle endurance, you know. And I, I can say just through um, the guys I know, most of the body, you get the exception to the rule, but most of the guys that do bodybuilding, you know, wouldn't be able to do endurance type sports because those muscles would just seize and fatigue. So they're not really um, a very, it's not the type of body that you would choose for survival. It's not the type of body that you would choose for longevity at all. It's literally just a show body, you know? So it's created big problems for me because um, when young girls or young boys look at magazines and look at this and they want to achieve these unrealistic expectations of the physical component of the body, and then they're so fixated on the aesthetics that they're not actually concentrating on their health. And for me, looking good is just a side effect of being healthy. So are you healthy, you're going to look good. You know, and that's just a side effect of being healthy. It's not something that you have to, you don't go after looking good. Go after being healthy. Go after feeling good. You know, that is what we should be focused on instead of the physical appearance. Mm. I think that's the reason I asked the question as well is because I wanted to see, is it, a, is it an indication? Because that's the media indication, you know, of whether you, you're healthy or you, you know, you you know, like your everything is working right. You know, like you have that chiseled body and everything works and and stuff to get. And I think that's the perception. And I and I see it, like you said at the earlier, you know, earlier parts in the show. You know, where it becomes an almost an obsession. You know, it's everything is in balance. I mean, so if you're spending lots of time doing that, I know I, I worked with the one person, and he was explaining because he was sponsored by one of the companies, and but he was explaining how like what he would have to do to keep you know like what he you know, the body and you would have to wake up at like four o'clock to eat and and i'm like that is not normal i don't think you should be doing that you know and but it obviously worked for him you know um and i suppose that's what you said about you know i think the industry has probably done more harm in some ways because it it you know that seems to be the norm of how you should be doing this um which it probably is not and, and for the greater percentage, right, because the greater percentage wants instant gratification. So, you know, it's like some guys will see, you know, me, for example, at 35 now, and they're like, oh, you know, you're in great shape or you've got lean, you know, body mass and da, 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 how do I get this? And they're 35 themselves. And I'm like, well, I started this journey when I was nine and it's been a daily practice pretty much since then. 
you know, focused on holistic health and well-being. Um, so I've incorporated that physical, I think about what I'm eating and what I'm drinking, and that's the journey that you want to see. What we don't want to be seeing is unrealistic um, changes in one's body to say that you could look you could go from apple to carrot in a matter of months, but you've got to be in, you've got to be taking this supplement and this steroid and this hormone and, you know, anything like that that you put in your body is going to have an effect on you. It's going to change the way that your hormones function through, you know, in your brain naturally. And that's what I don't want to be seeing, especially in the youth. And we are seeing that. It's ridiculous. Like we, in in my practice, I've had so many young females coming through with anorexia, bulimia, all these type of diet-related disorders, um, you know, just because of those types of pressures. And they want to look and, and, and seem like they fit into a specific type of a club. And the same with the boys, but a little bit different. So the boys are wanting to, you know, um, put steroids inside their body to quickly get some muscle and look or perform better so they can make first team rugby. So it's this instant gratification. It's not like a lifelong devotion. It's not like a lifelong dedication to something. And that's what I think a lot of us are missing in this day and age. I mean, and it's also talked about in all philosophy, it's talked about in all different religions across the board is the sacrifice. And that's what we need to be doing in our lives continuously. It's sacrificing certain things to make sure that we are achieving and continuously growing in a positive way. You know, so you would say for sacrifice, not having this cake today, sacrifice, not watching TV and going for a walk. You know, it's, it sounds like smart. That's not really sacrifices, but for some people it is, you know, it's just a, a small part. And but putting and being disciplined and putting those things into practice has a, ma- a massive effect into uh, somebody's psychology as well. You know, so if you let's take the boy, for example, who goes from, you know, carrot to being muscular in like six months, they've got this achievement, they feel this, but then they're still going to have that empty feeling of, right, I look this way, I'm getting all sorts of attention. It's not doing you any good, you know, because you think that in life, this is what's going to happen. I can cheat my way to getting to a certain point and get certain attention. Doesn't do, you've got to realize that nothing that comes easy you know, is going to have a good impact on your life necessarily. You've got to have, it's got to take some time and you've got to have it implemented as a daily practice versus thinking that I can just do this diet for six months and once I've lost the weight, I'll go back to the way I was eating. You know, I get that question a lot when I when guys come through, it's like, how long do I need to do this for? I'm like, forever, forever. <laughs> you can't, do, and then you start, the chances of it happening again go in. So, implementing it into and making it a part of your lifestyle is more important than having this quick achievement. Mm, I love that. I mean, uh, again, it's, uh, you know, I've been through the discussions a few times, you know, with the different practitioners talking about it, but it actually is, is, you know, it makes a lot of sense. It has to be a lifestyle. It has to be, you know, something that you're willing to commit to. Um, I suppose for many of us, uh, I mean, like me included, you know, that spends a lot of time like in an office slash you know, like desk setting is, do you have any recommendations for that type of person? Like, um, you know, how would you, how would you approach it from, you know, how do you recommend to your clients? Obviously bearing in mind, everyone is an individual. Yeah. So understanding the ergonomic setup of your workplace 
is really essential because it's like if you break your day up into 24 hours you want to see what you're doing hour by hour and how long you're in each anatomical position so if you're in a seated position for a long period of time you want to be really consciously aware of how you're sitting are you sitting in poor posture or are you sitting in an upright posture are you contracting your core when you sit how are you breathing when you sit where is the light coming in your room is it shining directly into your eye? Do you have natural light coming into your room? What about the airflow in your room? Are your hands positioned up high where you're continually hiking your shoulders? Are you leaning forward because you can't see? So all of these types of things have a massive impact. You know, a lot of guys with headaches, they'll come through and they've got headaches, they've got neck strain, they've got back pain. And it's, all it is is around the office ergonomics and setting that up. My biggest advice is to stand as much as possible. You know, I remember going to a FIBO, um, which is like a gym expo in 2017. And one of the stats they had, they had run like a scientific research uh, study on people who sit versus people that stand. And they, they came up with the conclusion that sitting was one of the biggest indicators of lifespan. And those who sit the longest die the soonest simple so you just think of that and you go you want longevity stand more you know first of all we're not meant to be sitting on chairs the way we sit you know when our ancestors used to sit they would sit in, in a squat position which is so good for our bowels and obviously the movement and the flow of our body when we're sitting at this 90 degree angle it's not complementary to our overall health and well-being especially when we don't have good sitting posture so there are some things that you could change and incorporate like standing up every now and then changing your seat going from a chair to a ball back to a chair kneeling change your desk around what i would do to a standing desk mm. you know so you stand most of the time or even walking while you're working you know so just about that, it's like using your time, you maybe can't change your job overnight and be like, right, you know, I don't want to sit anymore because, you know, I've got to be behind my computer X amount of hours. But, okay, while you're behind your computer, you could be doing a single leg quad stretch. So standing up on your right leg, taking your left, you know, ankle and pulling your left heel to your bum. So you're stretching your quad while you're working, while you're waiting for a plow. Steal every extra moment you have in your day to improve yourself in one way or another. You've got to constantly, because it, it's hard for all of us to be like, you know, I want to do my physical training today and I'm going to work on my strength. And then where's the time for my um, stretch? Where's the time for my endurance? Where's the time for my skill, my balance, my coordination, all the aspects of the physical? So you've got to sort of try and, steal those little moments where you can you know when you're playing with your kids at night or like rather than sitting on the couch go go kneel on the ground go kneel on the carpet and then you know you've got a stretch going on as well so it's just about being clever and that's it it's like incorporating fitness into your life you know whether it's while you're sitting so you could be sitting like you are now and you know hey i've got some really tight glutes well cross one leg over the other you know press that knee down and get a nice glute stretch going or every x amount of minutes stand up and do one of the glute stretches or releases that you've been taught so it's things like that that's how you sort of sneak it into your life without it impacting you negatively without you like losing time in front of your computer but you're sort of multitasking here at the same time 
Mm, that's really, really practical advice. I think a standing desk is something I've changed. So, you know, using that and then rotating that, but you forget. And I think the other one, which you mentioned now was the walking and I heard that was um, like meetings, you know, doing walking meetings is like uh, lots of the Japanese companies, apparently, you know, it's one of their practices, which I really like too. Um, we do have to start wrapping up soon. My last two questions. Uh, one is, are there any books or resources that you would point someone to if they were more interested in, you know, like this conversation around holistic health, taking care of yourself better, you know, biokineticism, or bio, being a biokineticist, anything around that? I mean, read as much as possible and a greater variety as possible. Um, you know, so going through that, like, self-help section of the bookshop or the philosophical book section of the bookshop you know those are all good from your dale carnegie's your tony robbins your you know simon cynics all these type of authors are just amazing because it's like mental mindset and that's a big thing you know so engaging in a mindset shift um is so important for me but I don't like giving, hey, you got to read this and this and this and this book, because I also believe like books come into our life for a reason, you know, so you'll be introduced or told about a book and then you're like, wow, this came at the right time for me. But my advice is be curious, you know, be hungry for knowledge, go and want to learn about something that you don't know anything about, you know, or you don't know enough about or something that you think this could really improve my life. Because the best way of learning is by incorporating some uh, incorporating a new thing or incorporating a skill into your life you know i was actually chatting about this with uh, my family last night and they're like hey how do you remember these types of things and i'm like well when i read it i uh, think how i could use it so i'm not trying to remember it i'm trying to think practically how would i incorporate that into what i would do naturally in a day and if i can adopt that skill as part of who I am and how I would act or react to something, I've got it. I understand it. I can explain it to someone and I'll remember it because I've, you know, put it into context that I have to remember because it's how I go and make my coffee in the morning. It's how I go and walk to the bathroom at night. You know, it's how I go and lie down, you know, so it's something that I've incorporated. And for me, that's, um, that's such an important skill to have. Um, so be hungry, go through and read, read as much as you can. Like we, you know, and that's such a, that, that's, that's a crucial part of that wellness wheel is that mental, you know? So if you're putting aside, you know, two hours for your physical every day, but you're not doing anything for the mental, you've got to spread that out. You've got to find time one way or another so that you get that balance. But reading is one of the nicest ways, you know, we've got podcasts now as well, which are just awesome. And I love listening to podcasts. So like when I'm driving, you know, something for me, for example, I, I had never really looked into um, Enneagrams. I'd never really uh, considered. So I'd done some studies on personality types and personality profiles and that, but not into a point of like what an Enneagram would do. And that came into my life maybe three years ago, two or three years ago now. But I remember when it came in, so I was just like, let me download a couple of these. And then for the next week while I was driving, just listen to every single type that they come through. So it's just one to eight listening to the and you just start clicking and you're like ah my mom's like that ah my friend's like this oh okay and you get this nice understanding of why someone would respond in a certain way and it's just all of a sudden you've empowered yourself you, you know but learning and understanding why you maybe do things at your core 
you know, and when you're your worst and when you're your best, why you would act and react in a certain way. And then obviously it's the same for others, you know. So that's how I would say learn um, and continually to try and, again, like listening to a podcast, that's stealing some time, right, because you're just going to be driving and listening to the radio or something that's, you know, negative frequency. Like Mm. put something positive there and, 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 and steal some time like that. Mm, yeah that was one of my favorite hacks actually um i don't drive as much anymore but i mean audible books um and podcast was amazing you know from a learning point of view um then my last question uh, i love this conversation by the way but my last question is um around this topic holistic health um you know and being a biokineticist and and what a biokineticist does um is there anything that you thought i should have asked you that i didn't obviously i mean uh, this conversation can go on like I'm assuming for another few hours, <laughs> it just seemed to have flowed that way. And and you are well, you know, like you're a huge um, pillar of knowledge. But is anything that you would, oh, anything you thought I should have asked you that I didn't? I'm not sure that there's any one specific thing. Um, I think maybe if uh, guys listening are interested in biokinetics or how they become a biokineticist or what do you, what kind of a person do you need to be to be a biokineticist? You know, I think those are all uh, really interesting questions, um, which for me, if you're someone that loves movement, if you're someone that's passionate about health and well-being, and if you're someone that um, really wants to understand the physical components of the body and everything from your anatomy and just curious about how we work, you know, that for me was the biggest thing when I was young I was like just curious I was like like how does the brain impact us how do all these different parts of our brain work and function and what would you know me incorporating in my life make me more optimal would make me a better human you know in one way or another and that curiosity drove me to constantly wanting to research and consume knowledge um, and it, it all revolved around being active being outdoors and just the love of sports in general sports and movement so, you know, that's how I was when I was young. And, yeah, that really got me into the field of biokinetics, um, which has changed a little bit. In my year, it, we went into sports science. You had to do sports science first. So we had like about 300 students that were accepted. And then only 15 got taken into honors for biokinetics. So it was quite a shock to the system where you're like, hey, I've, I wanted to be a bio, but I, I might not even get into, you know, the honors class. Whereas now in 2023, you've, you enroll into biokinetics from year one, which is way better, um, in my opinion. So it's actually easy. Most of the universities in South Africa um, offer the course now. Um, I studied at Stellenbosch University, which I highly recommend. I mean, not only for the life of a student, but just the course of biokinetics there is really, really good. Um, they've got amazing professors always. So, yeah, but any any of the universities um, – We've had, I've got some staff from all different, you know, from all the universities in, in our country. And um, I, I think it's really, really good. And it's only improving. Mm. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because, I mean, uh, a self-plug then would be to to check you out in the Molding Private Practice Show where we talk about that a little bit more in detail. But I love this. I love the conversation. I love all of your wisdom and knowledge that you brought into it. Uh, thanks so much for doing this, Dwayne. Absolute pleasure, Oliver. Thank you. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. As always, stay tuned and we'll speak to you in the next episode.